This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. New Rubber Boots, a study in spiritual fortification. If you've hung around... Ellerslie, it's very likely that the message of fortification has somehow reached you. This is a very deep uh, truth in my life and in Leslie's life. And as a result, as a couple, when we're forming a ministry, this is sort of a core uh, idea. And so yet when I thought about it, I don't know that I've ever actually preached a message on a Sunday morning about this. You'll recognize this if you've been at Ellerslie for any length of time. You'll notice some of the attributes and some of the strength points of this message you'd probably be familiar with because it's an attitude. It's a way of looking at life. But fortification, and I will go through what that means, but it is a wall is the concept. A wall is around a city is a fortified city, but it's a wall without breaches, without holes or gaps in it. And so... The idea is that in Christianity, we are meant to be built up and made strong in Christ Jesus so that the enemy doesn't have access into our life. Many of us as Christians are living out a version of Christianity that is harassed and constantly being undermined by the enemy. And so God says, go this way. And I tell you what, there's a thousand trip points on the way there. Uh, We have health issues. We have financial woes. We have a lot of things going on. And by the way, I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity sort of teacher here. So just in case, because you bring up money, you bring up health in the same sentence, or the same two sentence, and everyone starts to panic. I fully expect to suffer. I'm probably going to die a martyr. So, you know, my health, wealth, and prosperity gospel really doesn't fit into that. However, I do believe that God has an intention for my life. And as a result, I have a calling and it needs to be fulfilled. What I mean by fortification is that which I am called to do is guarded and protected and enabled. And the enemy doesn't have a say in it. The enemy isn't going to define how my life is going to turn out. God is. So for some of you, the enemy is still defining a lot of the movement of your existence. And that's why a message like this is important. I think it's important for us as a body to remember what Jesus Christ accomplished on that cross and then to appropriate it into our life. New rubber boots. Acts 19. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And this is, could be a little confusing for some of us, especially when you get ghost in there instead of Holy Spirit. So if you need to read it with Holy Spirit in your mind, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, one of the three persons of the Trinity. And this is, have you received him? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And we have never even heard that there was such a thing as a Holy Spirit, is the response. 
So, so well, then were you baptized? Because if you, I mean, if you don't know the Holy Spirit, were you not baptized in the Holy Spirit? I mean, how in the world do you function as Christians without that? They said, oh, and they said, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, well, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. This is also not necessarily meant to be a Pentecostal message for those of you that are really concerned about the ways that I could go with all these ideas that are flowing. This isn't about tongues and prophecy. However, it is about something that we might be missing. And I'm not even actually talking about the Holy Spirit, even though how in the world do you talk about Christianity without uh, that coming up? The story of the rubber boots. Something was missing in Eric Ludy's life. Now this, I have to admit, is a bit of an adaptation of a real story. So uh, the Ludy family arrives in Southern California with a lot of uh, hoopla. I mean, this is a pretty big deal. The kids are very excited. Daddy's excited. There's, there's certain things that you do as a dad that aren't as exciting. You just sort of do the dad duty. It's like, all right, let's do it. Let's watch the Veggie Tales or let's, you know, uh, play with blocks over here. You know, some of this stuff isn't actually that exciting, but going to Southern California and going to the beach or going to Disneyland is actually sort of fun. Uh, <laughs> so we arrive in Southern California, and you know, we're, I'm a seasoned pro at the Southern California thing, so it's like I am ready to go. Uh, so it's a new location that I'm in. However, uh, I have old shoes. Okay, I know that that doesn't make any sense to you yet, but it, it will make sense. You see, I'm saying new location, old shoes. Okay, I don't, I'm, I've just arrived at the Magic Kingdom. I mean, this is some exciting stuff. However, I have some old shoes on. Unpacking is for the birds. You see, we, we show up. But, you know, when you're, when you're ready to get out to the beach, you're ready to, like, get to Disneyland, you don't really want to have to go through the whole unpacking thing. How about ironing clothes? You know, the kids are like, Daddy! And you're like, oh, I just need to iron all my clothes first. Doesn't that sound like something a parent would do? That's what parents do when they're not excited to go do something. However, when they're excited, it's like, forget the unpacking. So unpacking is for the birds when you're that close to the beach and to Disneyland. Ah, Yes. So I uh, have my shoes. I don't know if any of you have one of these things. The type of thing where you're, that your wife, especially for any married men in here, always tries to throw out, and then you, like, dig them out of the trash. I had these old, comfortable shoes that uh, were just wonderful, okay? I, I, I could pay them a lot of compliments. Uh, but so, ah, yes, I find my familiar leather shoes. They're, they're just sort of these, uh, like, everyday shoes. They're sort of a brown leather. They go with jeans. They go with dress clothes. They're just all-purpose. I, I wasn't wearing them with dress clothes anymore because they were, weren't looking too hot anymore, but they were perfect for jeans. <laughs> the familiar leather shoes with holes, perfect for such an occasion. I mean, I need to, I'm going to do a lot of walking. I, I want to be comfortable, and you know, this is the perfect fit. Uh, and then we get to Disneyland, and it rains. It pours. I mean, it just was buckets coming down. But if, you, if you've paid big bucks to go to Disneyland... Rain doesn't stop you. You keep going, and you keep going. Even if you're miserable the whole time, you're going to get your money's worth. So I'm in the magic kingdom, but something is not feeling very magical about it. Uh, so I say to Leslie, Leslie, I think we're going to need to head on home. My feet are wet and frozen. Okay, so I'm having a problem. I'm in the magic kingdom. Nothing's feeling very magical. You see, I wore my old leather shoes and uh, they have holes in them. And if you have shoes with holes in them and you're walking through puddles, 
It, it isn't a good combo package. So why in the world, this is Leslie speaking, why in the world aren't you wearing your rubber boots? What rubber boots? I've not so much as heard whether there be any rubber boots. <laughs> they are in your suitcase. Remember the one you never unpacked. Boy, this is what a great message this already is. I don't know if you can catch the theme here. In other words, you're in a new location. You've arrived in the kingdom of heaven. Everything's looking grand. However, you still are toting around some old stuff. You have your old leather shoes, which are comfortable to you. That's what you're used to. And so in a default situation, what do you slip on? You slip on your old leather shoes with holes in it. And then the first trial comes into your life. And what happens? Your feet get wet and cold. And what you're already thinking of doing is canceling the trip. In other words, this whole magic kingdom thing isn't working out. And then some wise guy shows up in your life and says, well, why aren't you wearing your rubber boots? And you're thinking, I've never even heard that I had rubber boots. They're in that one suitcase. You know what suitcase we're supposed to unpack in Christianity? It's called the Word of God. You see, we have been given everything we need for this trip. Everything we need for life and godliness, but most of us have never even unpacked it. We've never even heard of such a thing as rubber boots. You know how nice rubber boots would have been in this situation? My feet are going to be fine in that situation. However, I've got the old stuff on. They're in your suitcase. Remember the one you never unpacked. Looking in the suitcase. So I want this to simple discipleship, basic discipleship in the body of Christ. Most of us, just to be honest, uh, as we pop out of the spiritual womb and we're growing up as Christians, aren't discipled these days. Now, Ellerslie, I mean, the whole point that we exist for, in a sense, is to disciple the church of Jesus Christ, to take those people that are arriving in the magic kingdom and actually teach them what's in their suitcase. God has supplied everything we're going to possibly need. This is how you wear it. This is how you put it on. So in whom you also trusted, so we're looking in the suitcase, and what do we find? In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, speaking of Jesus Christ, also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. It's sort of like saying, yeah, do you remember when we packed? Do you remember when we headed out the door? We stuck these rubber boots in. They're in there. And so you, then you open up the suitcase, you're like, whoa, are you saying that I've been given the very life and the power of Almighty God to live out this Christianity? That's what we're saying. The rubber boots were in there the whole time, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. The way of God more perfectly. Now, one of the things that you'll notice, the first story was in Acts, and it was uh, in Ephesus. Well, so we're headed back to Ephesus here. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. If all you have is the baptism of John, boy, there's a lot more in that suitcase. It's not that the baptism of John was wrong, but it pointed to someone greater. It pointed to something that would change your world, alter your life. Many of us have a portion of the truth, but we need to be instructed in the way of God more perfectly. Along with the believers in Ephesus, many of us still might say, 
We have not so much as heard whether there be any rubber boots in the suitcase. We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost available to the life of the believer. We, may, we have not so much as heard whether there be victory over sin in the Christian walk. We have not so much as heard whether there be power to actually live out the triumphant Christian life. We have not so much as heard whether there be authority in the name of Jesus to drive out devils. We have not so much as heard whether there be power in the shed blood of Jesus to resist Satan and cancel out the effect of his evil working. We have not so much as heard whether there be such a thing as a fortified Christian life. If you've never heard about it, how in the world are you going to use it? I mean, if if I don't even know that I have a suitcase, guess what? I'm probably not going to dig in it looking for the rubber boots. But then some of us here, we have a suitcase, but we don't dig in it. We don't open it up and understand truly what God has given us for this journey. If you have never heard, then you could, then how could you know? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So this is where people like Eric Ludy get their... <coughs> their passport to preach. It's just like, well, there it is right there because you won't know and believe unless you hear and how will you hear without a preacher? So let's do some preaching. (laughs) Introducing the concept of power. So power in scripture is basically two different Greek words in the New Testament. And there's two different types of power. And very simply put, there is legal and authoritative power Sort of like a president of the United States has legal, authoritative, governmental power over his branch of government. And then you have uh, muscular power, like the strength of an army. And so that army's marching and they have power. But it's two different kinds of power. And so the first kind of power, which is actually the army power or the muscle power, is a word called dunamis. And you'll notice the word dynamite actually comes out of this. The power of strength, an army's power, the strength of force and ability. And then we have another power which is very commonly used in the New Testament. However, however, it's just translated power, and as a result, we oftentimes get them mixed up in our mind. We think, most of us think, that when it says power, that it's muscular. But a lot of the uses of the word power in the New Testament are this word, exousia. It's a legal power, legal territory, a jurisdiction of control, a rightful claim, a legally backed position of authority, lawful claim or allowance, a liberty to do as one pleases, a chief monarchical position of authority to dictate and decide. So in government, this is a very, very significant word. In my home, I have exousia power over my home. I do. Even over my property, technically, I have legal power uh, to make decisions as long as they're within the covenantal laws and then the, uh, the homeowners association always seems to try and override my exousia. Uh, in my neighborhood. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what a word this is. For with authority, which is exousia, and power, dunamis, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. One of the things you'll notice about Jesus is he had both the power of an army and he had the authoritative power of the Almighty God. The principle of exousia. So this is the legal power. This is the legal authority. So I'm going to give you an illustration of the house and the trash bin. Some of you have heard me use this illustration, but it plays into this because it's a very difficult thing sometimes for us to understand where did this Satan character come from and why does he have power in the first place? Isn't God God? I mean, why why does he just get rid of this character? 
And so what we have is a house. We'll just call it that. And it's God's house. It's God's estate. And his house is perfect. It's clean. It's, everything's in order. Everything is right because it's God's house. And we took a little field trip up to heaven and, and, and actually toured God's temple in heaven. You know what? I have a hunch most of us would be confident it would look nice. It would smell nice. Everything would be in order. Exactly as God declared it should be, it would be. Our houses aren't necessarily always that way, but God's are. God's is. That sounded funny. And so here we are in God's house, and there is suddenly a banana peel in the middle of the living room. Now, if you're in the Ludi house and you find a banana peel in the middle, middle of the living room, what would daddy say? Uh, excuse me? Which kid just deposited a banana peel in the middle of the living room? And all the kids would scatter, probably. You see, it is not allowed in the Ludi home to leave a banana peel on the floor. Uh-uh. That is not allowed in my house. So what is Daddy Ludi prepared in the house? It's amazing, but it was actually built into the house. They must have anticipated this banana peel when they built my house. Because there's a little drawer underneath my cabinet in the kitchen that you pull out, and it has a trash can in it. And ironically, though that trash can is inside my house and under my authority, it does not bear the same nature as the rest of the house. It is of a separate nature to this house. You see, when sin entered the world, the rebellion of Lucifer, God created darkness, a place to separate. It's a trash can. And in a sense, he said, this does not belong. And he closed it. You see, we were not built and designed to be in the trash can any more than my kids are supposed to be in the trash can in my house. If I saw one of them like hopping in the trash can, I'd be, hey, get out. In other words, we do not belong in the trash can. It is of a separate nature to our house. And as a result, there is a distinction. Though it be under my jurisdiction, it is not of my nature. And that is the way it is with God. God did not create sin. However, he created a place in which to put it. And so as a result, just here in the principle of exousia, Satan has power over that trash can. That's his jurisdiction. And so when you talk about the enemy, anything in that trash can, guess what? That's his say. That's what he rules. Now, I wouldn't brag about that if I was the devil, However, when we willingly submit to that trash can, who rules over us? Uh Uh-huh. The devil. And so as a result, what the gospel shows us is, hey, people, you're in the trash can. And that trash can is going to be taken out to the outer curb and then ultimately to the lake of fire. So, hey, guys, let's get something straight right now. You need help. You need to get out of that trash can before it's too late. And we go, what must I do to get out of this trash can? And that's where the gospel comes in. The gospel actually shows us the way out into the house of God. Satan had the power of death. See, some people have gotten upset with me when I say that Satan has power. Well, he does, but it's talking about exousia power. He has authority. Not over God, not over God's people, not over the house. He has authority over the trash can. Him that had the power or the exousia of death, that is the devil. There's his territory, death. How would you like to rule something like that? 
Jesus is the power of life. You see, all that is living, Jesus rules. Satan rules the trash can. He rules death. Both the Jesus has both the jurisdictional power of life and the strength power of life. For as the Father raises up the dead and quickens them, even so the Son quickens or makes alive whom he will. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from the trash can into the house. Oh, let me read it here. From death unto life. You see, when you believe upon Jesus Christ, you are rescued, and you are taken out of death, out of the territory or the exousia territory of the devil into the exousia territory of Jesus Christ, which is life. Him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come in to condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Therefore does my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power, which is exousia. I have legal authority to lay down my life, says Jesus. And I have power or legal authority to take it again. He's saying, I control life. I can lay down my life and I can take it up again. Whoa, that's a lot of authority. This commandment have I received of my father. Death holds a lawful claim. After all, it is written. See, the enemy, the kingdom of heaven works after legalities. And the enemy works off of legalities. Basically, he has authority. And like I said, I wouldn't brag about him if I were him. Yeah, I rule the trash can. However, that's what he rules. And so when we willingly violate the word of truth, we then are at enmity with the truth. And we are like a banana peel laying in the middle of the living room that needs to be removed. We have lost our place. We, the day in which we eat of that fruit on the tree is the day in which we die. We enter into death. Who rules death? Well, the devil. And so actually, actually we come under the devil's authority. It's not a good place to be, by the way. So death holds a lawful claim. Death could say, hey, look, people, you may not like it, can spiritualize it all you want, but I have authority over those who walk in darkness. Simply put. And he's right. The devil actually does have authority there. And you don't hear God contradict it. The devil does have an authority. However, when we as believers are set free from it, we are set free from that legal territory that the devil has ruled. And we no longer are under his control. So after all, it is written, the soul that sins, it shall die. The soul that sins, it will go to that trash can. That's just what the Bible says. The soul that sins, it shall die. Just in case you missed it the first time. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is that trash can. You go into that realm, that exousia territory known as death. The one that the devil has authority over. For all have sinned. So some of us can be like, yeah, that's right. Any of you that sin, that's where you're going. And then boom, Romans 3.23 hits. It's like, yeah, you too. But me? All of us. All of us are in the trash can. What? Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 
Understand the legal or exousia power of the devil. So here we are in the wilderness. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. And this is the very conclusion of his fast. And he's tempted by the devil. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him, Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power, this exousia, this legal territory, will I give thee and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't argue this point, but the devil is saying, look, this is my principality. I have control down here. It's been given to me. It's all entered the trash can. It's all fallen into disrepair. It's all under the disease of death. It's mine. All the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them to you, Jesus, on my conditions. So it says, for that is delivered unto me, and, I, I, and, to, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, and all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto them, get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. This is the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of the shed blood of Jesus. And from the power, the exousia, the legal authority of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And so what you see is the gospel's purpose, one of its primary points, is to set us free from the control of the devil. He that commits sin is of the devil. And who commits sin? Well, last time I checked in Romans, all of us have. So therefore, I mean, if you were to put your name in that sentence, it doesn't look good. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So we know the devil has power over death. That is just one of those things that is pretty obvious in Scripture. You are, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. So, you know, I don't know that Amos want to finish here with a statement like that. I mean, that's just an absolute rebuke. If you're walking in sin, if you're living as if you, you, know, you have the scent of the trash can upon you, go well, guess what? You're not evidencing a transformed life. You're evidencing the fact that you're living in the trash can. Your father is the devil. The great redemption, the amazing work of life. Jesus might taste death for everyone, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Our Savior Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The nullification of the power of sin. So this is like a legal case before the heavenly realms. The bar of justice in heaven. So Satan gets up and he's that slick attorney and he has the grease tear. And if you look close, there's a blob of grease that drips down his, his face. And he has like uh, the gold and the silver tooth. You know, and he's just one of those guys. I don't know why any one of us would ever hire him to represent us. You know how many of us actually listen to his counsel on a daily basis? Oh, we're Christians. But the enemy comes in. He's like, hey, I'll give you some good counsel. You've listened to me for years. Why don't you keep listening? And we listen to the guy. I don't know why in the world we trust this guy. However, he does understand the law. And he does press these points of the law. 
He only presses, the only time you'll ever see the devil quote scripture is when it's to his advantage. He wants to press condemnation. He wants to press the legal word of God against our soul. And so, you know, we have the bar of uh, justice there and Father God is sitting on the, the throne and the enemy comes in and he's just as slick and as slimy as all get out. And he has a legal argument. He says, the wages of sin is death. And the crowd sort of goes, ooh, good point. If they sin, they die, right? And everyone has to nod along. That's true, that's true. They sinned, so I get them. Hey, how do you, you can't argue this. This is some good, solid legal argument. I have the power of death, says the devil. And of course, we died because we all sinned. The jurisdiction of death is my domain, so they are mine. They are under my jurisdiction and are thus my slaves, which is legal property of me as their lawful master. It's called bad news. You know, it's not very fun to hear that. And so he sits down, and there's a murmur in the crowd because everyone's just sort of, uh, you know, realizing the gravity of what he has said. He's right. That's what the Word of God, that's actually what the Bible says. We're in bad shape. So then Jesus gets up. The legal response of God. Uh, the wages of righteousness is life and grace. And the enemy's like opening up his Bible trying to figure out where that is. Like, what, where'd you get that from? <laughs> if they believe, they live. They believed, so I get them. I have the power of life and grace. The jurisdiction of life is my domain. So they are mine. They are under my jurisdiction of grace and are thus my children, legal property of me as their lawful master. You see, the power of believing, the power of sinning, it does bring death. But there's a greater law. You see, we all have been under the law of you sin, you die. It's called the law of sin and death. And when you sin, you die because we ate of the first tree. But there's a second tree. It's called Calvary. And the fruit on that tree is the man Jesus. And Jesus says, if you eat, you live. And it actually is a greater law. It is higher than this law. And so when you believe, you actually are transferred from death unto life through believing. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. It is written. That is a fact, a legal fact in the heavenlies. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. Listen, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. So you may be in the kingdom of the dear son, but which shoes are you wearing? So many of us understand that Jesus has saved us. We've come under the tree and we've believed. And therefore we live. We are transferred from death unto life. However, why in the world are our shoes or our feet still cold and wet 
in the magic kingdom. And this is what this message is about. So first to lay the foundation of understanding how the authority structure of the kingdom of heaven works. And for you to recognize that if you truly are under the jurisdiction or under the legal territory of God, the enemy has no say in your life. The enemy has no ability to rule you, to control you any longer. So what's going on? Fortification. It's the art or science of fortifying places to defend them against an enemy by means of moats, ramparts, parapets, and other bulwarks. The works erected to defend a place against attack, or it could simply mean additional strength. Talk about something we need. As a young Christian, this is something that I did not know. Even as a leader, traveling the world, speaking to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, I did not understand this. And as a result, almost at every turn, the enemy was there to trip me, to harass me, to undermine everything I was doing. I would plant a seed, the enemy would come in and seemingly dig it up. It's like, uh, excuse me, but that was a seed that I planted. And the enemy's like, ha, 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 running off with it. It's like, what was that? Sickness, financial disaster, one after the next. It's like, how do you function in this world? You stand up for Jesus, and it's like, all hell breaks loose. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sure does seem like hell has some serious power here. Because I represent the king of kings, but I can't get one word in edgewise in this generation. I can't progress the kingdom of heaven. Who's stronger, the devil or God? It's a good question for many of us. Because many of us are proving through our life, though we believe in Jesus Christ, the devil sure is one strong dude. If we are in Christ, why should we concern ourselves with the devil? So this is our very simplistic way of looking at it. We've entered into Christ. So it's like, hey, he's victorious, therefore I am. And as a result, we sort of kick back with our pina colada and start sipping, and suddenly life isn't working quite right. After all, isn't he defeated? Hmm. Isn't the devil defeated? Last time I checked in what was written, it says, yes, he is. So what are we dealing with? Ephesians 4. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. You didn't learn to, uh, to leave your new rubber boots in the suitcase, did you? You didn't learn to keep living as a Gentile, though you were set free to live as a saint. You see, you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. You put off those old leather shoes with the holes in them. You don't keep walking around in the same shoes you once did. You put off those crazy things. Don't you recognize that you're in the midst of a rainstorm? And if you are not in your new rubber boots, your feet are going to be wet and cold. So you put off the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, the rubber boots, which were created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, 
Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. You know that there are certain behavior patterns that many of us never put off? We just sort of hoped that they would go away. But you know what? I could hope that my old leather shoes with holes in it could keep out the water, but they can't any more than lying can keep out destruction in my life. You see, if I keep doing old things, though God has said, hey, I packed you a whole new garment here. I got all the good stuff for you. I'm like, well, I'm more comfortable in these. This is sort of the way I do things. This is the way I roll. Well, uh, that's not going to work. You see, you're going to have all the same damaging effects still in your life. So therefore, putting away a line, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Listen to this line. I gave that whole scripture so I could get to this line. Nor give place to the devil. Well, what, what could you very quickly uh, surmise out of that? There is a way for us as Christians to give place to the devil. And by the way, that would be legal place. That is a position in our life. I don't want that. I remember this, this scripture used to terrify me growing up. My mom would always say, you better make things right with your brother before you go to bed tonight. Otherwise, you're going to give place to the devil. <gasps> I had no clue what that meant, but I didn't want to find out. So I'm like all awkwardly having to go into my brother's room. Sorry. Sorry. Forgive me. And, you know, it's like, all right, God, I did the thing. Now the devil can't have any place. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. This is Paul talking. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave it, I am the person of Christ. Listen to this. Why Paul forgave? Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, if any of you have ever heard me make comment on this, I would say the exact opposite. I think we are very ignorant of the enemy's devices. I don't think we have a clue anymore how he works. And as a result... He's playing us like a fiddle, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. So what can we conclude out of that? It is possible for Satan to take advantage of us. So therefore, it seems to flow out of ignorance. When we are ignorant of how he works, we're ignorant of how this battle works, we then become vulnerable. Two realities that we mustn't be ignorant of. Satan can get an advantage on the saints, but if we function in a way that is not ignorant of the devil's schemes and we obey the word of God, Satan will be blocked out. Number two, we can give place to the devil. We can lend him territory, open a door to him, allow him to squat in our life and dampen, hinder and mar the reflection of Christ in our life. The word squat might need to be uh, understood here. A squatter is someone who comes onto territory that is not theirs and builds a little campsite. It's like, that's not your territory, bud. Yeah, but if no one kicks me off, I'm going to stay. So you start with little tents, and then you build a little clothesline, and then you build a little outhouse, and then you build a little wall around it. Then you turn that into an entire house. Then, you see, it goes from being a toehold to a stronghold, and it grows up. You see, that's what happens in our life. It's not that the enemy has any legal right. It's that we did not exert the authority over the territory that we were given. In other words, Jesus says, you have my authority, use it. We're like, I don't know, he's been squatting here for 20 years. Uh, that's, that doesn't belong on your territory, Eric. Lust shouldn't be there. Greed, pride, they, these guys don't belong there. Exert my authority and kick them out. You know that you can kick out a stronghold and a toehold with the same breath of Jesus' name? It doesn't take like some extra muscle. In the authority of Jesus Christ, get out. 
You know, the devil cannot disagree. Resist the devil and he will flee. If you have given any place in your life to this devilish behavior, stand up and exert the authority of the kingdom of heaven. The principle of old and new shoes. When you live in the old shoes, you get the old effects in your life. When you put on new shoes, you get new effects. And so you could be in the same rainstorm. It's quite extraordinary. The same rainstorm and actually have a smile on your face the whole time. And people go, how could you smile in this? My feet are freezing and wet. I have uh, new rubber boots on. And people are like, where'd you get those? I've never even heard of having such a thing. Yeah, my wife packed them for me. In this case, my bridegroom packed them for me. He knew what I needed for this journey. He knew where I was headed, and he gave me everything I needed for life and godliness. We can still wear old shoes in the new kingdom. Now, that is one of the most confusing statements that Eric could ever say from up here. Now, it's not that we're supposed to. It's just that obviously we're able to. We've been transferred into the kingdom of the dear son. We believed upon him. Then why are we still wearing the old shoes? Well, simply put, we never put them off. And we never put on the new ones. You see, Christianity actually is made up of practical steps forward. Apollos was actually doing good work in Ephesus. The the body of Christ, which most likely were Aquila and Priscilla, that came to him and said, hey, let's show you a more perfect way. He was still humble in even how he received it. He was an eloquent man preaching the word of God. However, he needed to hear that there was more to it. And when he heard that, he actually became one of the great pillars of the church of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. We can still wear old shoes in the new kingdom. We can still return to our old shoes while in the new kingdom. You ever felt that propensity? It's like you put off those old shoes, you got rid of them, you even threw them in the dumpster, and then one night you find yourself curiously digging in the old dumpster for your old comfortable shoes. I mean, how pathetic are we? In other words, we need to recognize the devil doesn't stop his work. Just because you transferred out of that trash can does not mean the devil's like, oh, I lost him. The devil actually is going to do whatever he can until you breathe your last to undermine your life on planet Earth. You need to know that, that you actually still can. You have the propensity to be tempted. If you weren't temptable, the devil wouldn't waste his time. The devil has limited resources. I don't know if you've ever heard me say this. But the devil is not all-knowing. He's not infinite in his power. He's not omnipresent. That's God. Let's not mix up the two. The devil is very limited. You know that when he rebelled, he took a certain percentage of the angels with him. And it was one-third. You know what that means mathematically? That means God has double the angels. And he's God to boot. God doesn't even need angels to destroy the devil. Yet God has himself, God, and double the devil's angels. And we're trembling. Excuse me, let's get perspective here of who we serve. We are in God's exousia, his legal territory. However, the devil is a deceiver. He is a supplanter. He is a liar and a thief. And we need to recognize that he is still laboring to undermine us. And as a Christian, you're target number one for him because you're his greatest threat. If we're talking military strategy, you want to offset greatest threats. And a Christian that actually believes 
is that great threat. And our old shoes will still produce the same soaked and sloppy mess they always have. So not only can you return to your old shoes and stick them on and they feel really good, but they'll create the same sloppy mess that they always have. My feet are just cold again. Uh, well, you stick those shoes on in a rainstorm and guess what? You're going to get the same effects always in your life. In fact, I want you to begin to attune your soul to certain things like cold, wet feet, spiritually. It's like, there they are. Oh, do I have those old shoes on again? In other words, when you begin to recognize certain things in your spiritual life, you'll more quickly repent and head in the right direction. Fortification in Ludi history past. This is a big deal in my walk with God and my relationship with Leslie. So we're going back about a decade and we were, I have such hair-raising stories that I could tell you about what has taken place over the years in ministry, in health, in finances. I tell you what, I, I basically said, God, I'm all in. I want to serve you. I want to see this world change for you. And the way I used to describe it, it's, it's like taking a baseball bat, hitting a hornet's nest, and then realizing my feet are in concrete and I can't move and I'm surrounded that's my old description of it, because that's the way it felt. I stood up for the king of kings, and I felt like I was mauled to death. And so I'm like a bleeding wreck on the ground going, God, this, this isn't the way it's supposed to work, is it? You see, I had no defenses. I didn't understand how the spiritual battle worked. And as a result, the enemy was eating me for lunch, even though I was sincere. I was a genuine believer, and if you looked back in those times, you'd look at Eric and say, yeah, boy, believe the same things. Yeah, it's not like I came up with a new gospel. Same gospel. I believed that what Jesus Christ did was sufficient for me, and I wanted to tell the world about it. However, I was getting undermined at every turn. So one of the key things that actually wrenched us into a new way of thinking was a miscarriage that Leslie suffered. The baby was about six weeks in, and it was a very traumatic thing for us to walk through. First of all, it showed us a certain vulnerability that we had. And one of those questions came like, why? Why did this happen? And I don't necessarily, because there's, there's a lot of sticky spots that we could have in a group like this in regards to issues like this. They're hard to describe. One thing I can say that God was showing Leslie and I is, are we willing to be examined by the Spirit of God, and is there any inlet points, any breaches in a wall that are not closed up, and that the enemy is actually getting away with something in our life that he shouldn't be? That was the key question. And Leslie and I started a process of actually laying our lives before God in an extra measure. You know, there's when you're leaders, and everyone's looking at you like you're too extreme, you know, like you're way too serious about Jesus Christ it can actually dampen your pursuit of Jesus Christ. It's a funny thing, but you don't want to be way out there. You just sort of want to be one step ahead. And so what we found is that there were certain points in our life that were, had a damper pedal on them. They were just diminished because we didn't want to be too extreme, and we'd allowed certain things into our life. I'll go through a few of them, but this was a huge process for us. Leslie's health, every time we traveled, we just took it for granted. This is just the way it worked. She would be fine health-wise when we were at home, but then we'd travel, and we used to blame it on that air in the, you know, airplanes, you know, how it's not very healthy air, 
And, but Leslie would be sick. She had bronchial infections. And it was, oh, so frustrating. And I, I mean, I was not, I wasn't mad with Leslie. I was mad in a strange way at God. Because I was saying, God, we're standing up for you. And this is what we get every time. And so it was frustrating. But I tell you what, it was nonstop. Physical issues that wouldn't end. Hudson's hospital visit. So when Hudson was first born, this is the very time we were going through this. Hudson, uh, we have this birth at home and, you know, because I don't like hospitals, right? And then the third day of his life, he's rushed to the hospital. Uh, He's jaundiced and he is uh, dying of dehydration and starvation. And, I mean, come on. That's how we start out his life. And then, you know, a few days in, he trips. or I guess he wouldn't have been walking yet. Uh, a few months in, he was doing something and fell and, you know, gashed his, his front tooth, or not front tooth, he didn't have teeth yet either, his gums, sorry. Uh, I mean, it was, we had trip after trip to the emergency room with Hudson. And this is right at the same time, the very same time, now we're, we have a miscarriage, and it's just like, all right, God, is it us? Is there something, I mean, I could either blame this on you, But it doesn't match your character. It says, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that more abundant. This doesn't feel like life and that more abundant. It feels like darkness. I'll just call it what it feels like. It it feels like harassment, noise, and something that's trying to get my focus off of you. But can I stand against it? Because I want to be one of those guys that receives everything with thanksgiving. I mean, I don't want, if God's the one bringing in this, you know, busted gum in Hudson and sending us to the emergency room, well, then I want to receive it with joy. But if it's not coming from God, then I want to bop it in the nose. But I need to know that I can bop it in the nose. I don't want to bop the wrong thing in the nose. I don't want to accidentally bop God. And as a result, many of us are paralyzed to know how to interact with these dimensions. Fear and anxiety. Leslie was struggling with fear over health issues. To me, it was so irrational. You know, I, I would always give the illustration. It's like me looking at that clock, Leslie, and, and saying, uh, should I be afraid that it's going to fly off the wall and hit me? And she'd be like, that's ridiculous. I go, uh-huh, that's exactly right, because everything that's going on in your mind right now isn't going to happen. And so I'm seeing so lucid, so clear in regards to her issues. And then for me, it was finances. And she could see so clear, so lucid. It's like, what? God's always provided for us. Why do you think he's going to dump us now? It's like, I just, I just, it'd be really nice if he just put a big wad into the bank, okay? This is really tiresome. And so we were going through, we had our issues. In other words, is this, is this the life that we're supposed to expect? That's what we were challenging, challenged with. Frustration. I still remember seeing Hudson playing with his little... Uh, train table, and so he's leaning up against it, and he's like, with his train table, and uh, he had those magnets on those trains, and he got the magnets backwards, and they were polarizing, they were opposites, so he was like, they were like pushing away, and that was just so, he wanted to stick them together, and so I saw him, and he went, and I looked at it, and I saw, I saw me. Now, I know how to handle it a lot better than that, but that was me, and I realized in that moment, I left the door open in my house for that to go straight to my son. And I began to realize something. There were some doors open. There were some windows open. But I didn't know that. 
And so I'm suddenly realizing that I had breaches or gaps in my life, and I'm seeing it. It's affecting my wife. It's affecting unborn children. It's affecting my son. And that was uh, a very key moment in my life. Leslie and I began to evaluate everything about our life. I mean, everything. We just basically set it before God and said, God, redo our life if necessary. I just want to live to glorify you. I don't care what it's going to cost. I don't care if we have to start completely over. I don't care what it means. I want to be a godly man, a godly husband, a godly father, a godly leader. I do not want anything in my life that would hinder the name of Jesus Christ from being made known. So we call it a sacred list. And this went on. In fact, I think it might have been two pages, but I want to say at least one page full, like packed, like two columns packed of things in our life that as we just set our life before God, that it began to show us. And these were things that I could, you know, because I had walked through so many layers of sin over the years, you know, where God, and I'd confessed it in front of crowds. I mean, I had, I had allowed God to search me at a level most people hadn't. And so for me, I'm looking at this list going, come on, that's ridiculous. That doesn't matter. That was the key point right there. Eric, do you want to know why your feet are still wet and cold? Because you say that wearing those old shoes doesn't matter. However, you want to know why your feet are wet and cold? Yes, God. It's because you're still wearing the old shoes. I know it's not as big of a deal as carrying a weapon and shooting someone. However, you're still allowing hindrance into your life. We have a tendency to grade sin and say, well, I'm not doing that. And as a result, we excuse other things in our life. You know what God defines as sin? He who knows what he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. If you know you should put off the old shoes and you don't, well, guess what? You are allowing illegal access to the enemy. Uh Uh-uh. No. No more. So I had all sorts of things. The things that we were watching. Leslie and I, when we get, everything's harder for us because of our position. I would go to a video store back in the day and they pull up all your past videos. And these people would be like, uh, are, you, are you Eric and Leslie, the ones that wrote the book on purity? Uh, should I say yes? <laughs> they could see all my movies. So Leslie and I were very watchful at every single thing. I mean, you could order from Netflix. The person fulfilling the order knows exactly who we are. Well, that changes everything. I can't get away with anything. Other people can hide under anonymity. I can't. I'm just out there. And guess what? That actually was a form of accountability that I thank God for over all those years. But was everything that I was watching, even though all of you would say, well, that's not that bad, was it aiding and abetting the formation of spiritual life in in me? You see, instead of turning to God to a time of prayer, I would turn to a movie. And God began to convict me of that. I am replacing him in a certain dimension of my life. For pleasure, for comfort, for satisfaction, I have an alternative other than God. And as a result, God put that on the list and how we were handling media. I used to, when I'd go to the web, you see, I didn't watch the Broncos anymore because I was trying to be a good husband. Leslie can't stand football, which made it very difficult for me uh, in those early years because I love football. And so I would try and honor her. Instead of spending the day in front of a television, I would spend the day with her. But then I, the wonderful thing about modern technology is you could just go on to the website and click the F for final, and you can get all the stats. You can relive the game. You can watch uh, clips. I mean, it's great. 
until God sort of points at it and says, what are you doing with your time? Well, I'm not watching the game, so this is sort of my way of catching up, right? And God began to show me that every moment in my day matters, and what I'm spending my time on is important to him. And as a result, a fresh wave of recognition that there are moments in my life when I am lax, moments in my life when I am open. It's sort of like the door is left uh, open and unlocked, and I'm you know, sweeping the entryway, not realizing I've left the door open. In other words, when you recognize that you're in hostile territory, you live as if you're in hostile territory. When you forget that you're in hostile territory, you let down your guard. When you let down your guard, when do you think the enemy's going to strike? It's when you let down your guard. Do you not think he's watching? Do you not think he's aware of the patterns in your life? You are his great study to stop you. So don't be surprised. Don't underestimate the emphasis that the enemy places on stopping true Christianity in this generation. So Leslie and I actually had our sacred list, and we begin to pray. And we begin to pray, and like we'd ever prayed in our life, the book Wrestling Prayer actually flows out of this season of fortification. Because I didn't, I mean, I'd always prayed. I always believed prayer was important. But now we begin to devote our life to it. For a whole season of our life, it was over three hours a day that we were praying. I mean, it was dead serious. Wake up early, get to bed late. Instead of watching movies, we would pray, which I know sounds very boring. And at the very beginning of that whole commitment, it was rather scary for me too. In other words, I love watching movies. And, but could, could I say, and I love to pray, God. Did, did you hear that too? I mean, I just really love to watch movies too. You see, God was showing me, are you willing to find your satisfaction in me? Now, I'm not saying you need to do any of these things that I'm saying. I'm walking through a personal experience here. So one of the things I took a stand on was Leslie's health. Leslie's health was always being attacked. And in a strange sense, I used to be, I played passive with it. It's like, well, you know, if God wants her to be sick, I guess that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, I'm not going to fight God. And one day, I'll call it the sleeping giant awakened. I popped up in bed when she said, could you pray for me? I got that bronchial thing going again. And I sat up in bed. And I said, yep, I've had enough. God, I've laid down my sword. I have not been swinging it. But this husband has awakened. No more. 52 days. The reason I know this number is because that's the amount of days it took Nehemiah to build the wall around Jerusalem. I know this number. 52. And so... Leslie and I stood for 52 straight days. I stood for 52 straight days for Leslie's health is one of the key things I was standing for. Now, you would say, why does it matter? It's not that big of a deal. Well, that's what I thought at first. Over those 52 days, I don't remember what the number is, but it was something like 28 major attacks on my health in those 52 days when I was standing for Leslie's health. Here's one thing I learned through it. There's something about what I stood for that mattered. Maybe it was just a husband standing for his wife. Maybe the enemy didn't like that. Maybe it had to do with health. I, I don't know that I can put my finger on it squarely, but one thing I can say is the enemy overplayed his hand because I am always healthy. I'm one of these guys who's just the energizer bunny. And then I stood for Leslie's health, and all hell broke loose. However, I'm going to give you a secret. I tried something in this time, and I'd never tried it before, but I tried, I tried it. Leslie would say, what do you do? I go, I don't know. This is just what I do. I said, No. I would have something hit me, 
whether it's a symptom, whether it's a, a kinked neck in the gym, like, oh, no, oh, no, that's, that's four months out of the gym right there. <laughs> I'm sitting there, and I go, no. In the authority of Jesus, no. And guess what? 28 things disappeared into nothing. So I learned something through this time, and that was position, authority. That when you stand for the small things, God takes note and the devil takes note. Don't underestimate that crack in the wall. As if, oh, God doesn't care about that. It's just big enough for the devil to slide through. I think he does. If you're building a wall around your city and you have one little crack, why does it matter? Well, it matters because an entire army can flood through that little crack in the night. You must recognize that every little crack matters to God because he loves you. The test of faith. In the Bible, it's called the test of faith where you must learn to stand for something, put brick upon brick in your life in obedience to the word of God even when you don't feel it and even when you don't see the repercussions or the effects of it yet. It's called the test of faith. So in James, it's called the test of faith. In 1 Peter, it's called the trial of faith. There's a testing of us where God says, do you believe my word? Prove it. Stand on it. It is written. Therefore, you believe it and you begin to live accordingly. Fortification in Ludi presence. So that previous story was back in the past. What's going on today? One thing I can say is a marked difference took place in the health of my family from the end of those 52 days. Have we still had skirmishes? Oh, yes. But I mean, I tell you what, dramatic shift. No more hospital visits for Hudson. No more sickness hindering Leslie from travel and speaking. It's just like evaporated. It's amazing. I saw this. I witnessed this. So therefore, even though up to that point, healing was never a big deal for me. I mean, healing's like Benny Hinn's thing. I'm not going to deal with it. As opposed to saying, you know what? I'm going to deal with whatever God puts in front of me that I have to stand for. Because God has an agenda on this earth, and the enemy wants to sabotage. Therefore, I'm going to stand where God's standing. And I know what his shed blood has accomplished, and I want to see the full merits of that realized in my life. So fortification, Ludi presence. Uh, the enemy hasn't given up on me. He's still working away, trying to find gaps, trying to tempt me to create gaps in my life. And, you know, there's no significant gaps in my life. But I can say, I have, just like many of you could understand, those moments where you're like, oh, how stupid was that? I can't believe I fell for that line again. Because uh, for me, it's usually bad attitude, bad mood, bad tone. Those are the things that God is refining. The sanctification process I'm in right now is tone, motive, attitude. It's all that stuff, which as far as I'm concerned is very difficult to labor through because it feels like an endless journey. Of, as I was talking about sanctification with you guys a few weeks back, God starts with big boulders and then he moves to small rocks and then he moves to pebbles and then to dust or granule-sized things. And I tell you what, I don't know where I'm at in that process, but it's some, some of the things are so ridiculously tiny. And I'm like, God, come on, you can't be serious. I need to deal with that. I need to confess that. I need to say that to this person. I don't want to do that. It's too small. Too, no, it's not too small. The signs of open doors. This is one of the things that God has trained me in over the past decade. And that is there are certain things that I begin to recognize in my life as signs that there is an open window, 
or an open door. You see, we're in the middle of winter, and if you're in the middle of winter, you know when a door is left open. Have you ever had that where you're walking through the house and you feel the gust, and you're like, well, something's open. That's right. That's the way the spiritual life works. Something's open. You have let down your guard. You've done something, unlatched a window and opened it, maybe unbeknownst to you. However, something's open. Just as an open window on a winter day is exposed by the presence of a chill throughout the house, a snowdrift on the kitchen table, and the clear sound of rushing wind in and through the living room, so an open window in my life is evidenced by a dulling in my passions for the lost, one of the number one things I begin to recognize. I don't care about lost souls. That is a symbol to me that I have an open window. A weakening of my resolve to fight for truth. You know how hard it is? to stand for truth day in, day out? It's like, let me be. Let me just have my own life. Is there an island somewhere I can escape to and just sort of sip pina coladas at least for a couple years? Come on, people, leave me alone. You're weakening your resolve to fight for truth. That's a signal inside of me. Whoa, whoa, what's that? Why is it that I don't feel passionate about doing this right now? This is representation of the kingdom of heaven. This is the job of jobs, the opportunity of a lifetime. Why in the world would I not be passionate about it? Is there an open window, an open door? A lesson in my love of time spent in the Word of God. If the Word of God is starting to get bulky and dry and dusty, that's actually a sign to me. You see, I am after Jesus Christ. If my love relationship with Leslie is starting to grow dull, that should matter to me. The same is true in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And if there's a softening of my resolve to pray and pray and pray until God does it. You ever had it where you're praying and you really are passionate to pray until God does it? And then suddenly you're just like, yeah, it's like wheeze. And it's like, hey, God, you can do it if you want to do it. And you lose the vibrancy, the the gusto, the grit of your spiritual life. If you are showing any of these signs... Come before the throne of grace and say, God, we have some repair work to do, or there's some open windows, or there's some open doors. Because if you're losing the gusto, the wind of the Spirit isn't stopping. God's not saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to leave you be for a while. I'll come back and sanctify you next month. I'll let you flounder for a month. God doesn't do that. He's ever constant. He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're the ones that are up and down. So what does, does one do if they find a window open in the dead of winter? I, I know this is a great word of wisdom for all of us. They slam it shut. It's not complicated. If you see a door open, a window open, it's the dead of winter in your life, you've got an em- enemy out there that wants to destroy you, who's seeking to devour you, slam that door, that window shut. Word to the wise. If you are still wearing old shoes, put them off and put on the new rain and puddle-proofed rubber boots If you are still wearing old behavior, put it off and put on the person of Jesus Christ and enjoy the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to actually live the life of Christ. Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Four steps toward getting the right shoes on your spiritual feet. This is actually pretty amazing. Understanding that don't draw near. So I'm going to go through four steps the don't draw near. It's really amazing because here we have in the New Testament a commission and a command to boldly draw near to the throne of grace. However, if you don't first understand the don't draw near, you won't fully apprehend and understand the draw near. So this is where God starts us. 
Then he, Jehovah God, said, do not draw near this place. What place? Where are we at? This is the burning bush. The very flaming, bright, blazing, holy, holy, holy presence of God has come to this earth. It's in a bush. And what does God say to Moses? Do not draw near this place. You see, Moses is unfit. Moses, of course, is symbolic of the law, man's effort to please God. He cannot satisfy God. He cannot draw near. You see, we have an impediment. We're in old shoes. We have an old life. And we are unworthy to approach that burning bush. We cannot come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. So comprehending the washing. So God deals with feet. Isn't that a funny thing? He deals with shoes and he deals with feet. Now, he doesn't actually ever mention rubber boots. But, you know, so I am taking a little liberty with this message. Comprehending the washing. What does he do with these dirty feet? These sandal, uh, sandaled feet, we remove our feet, and they're just covered with dust and grime and dirt. The old life. What does he do? He takes off his outer garment. He bends his knee, and he washes them. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. What does he come to do? To be a servant, to actually wash us, to wash our feet. Obeying the shodding. Shodding is not a word that we use today. It's sort of an old-fashioned word of putting something on, especially on feet. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Ephesians 6 is talking about an armor. That armor, by the way, is Jesus Christ. It is the life of Christ in which we are supposed to be clothed. And there is actually provision for the feet. Like I said, it's all in the suitcase. He's given us everything we need. He says, don't draw near. Your feet are dirty. He says, I will wash your feet. He condescends, takes on the form of a human. He becomes one of us. He takes the lowest position. He becomes obedient even unto death on a cross. And he washes us with his shed blood. He does it. He cleans us. And then he gives us new shoes. He says, you got those old sandals. They're, they're gone, right? You put them off so you could put these on. He's sticking on the strength. I always call them combat boots. Authority. What's under his feet? All things. Whose feet do we have? We have King Jesus' feet. We're the body of Christ. Shod those feet with that authority. You're going out and you're going to share my good news. Put them on. You have a job to do. Well, what about all the, the rain, God? I mean, I, I'm so tired of wet, cold feet. Uh, put on these shoes. You'll find that they are perfect for the job that I've called you to. Heeding the come boldly. So first you need to know the don't draw near which then prepares you to receive the washing. You see, you're not going to let God condescend and wash your feet unless you realize that unless he washes you, you have no part with him. Please, and wash my whole body. He says, no, no, all I need to do is wash your feet and the whole body is going to be clean. He washes our feet and then he shuds them. And then what does he say to us? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. The burning bush, come in. Come in, approach it. Well, I'm not worthy to approach this. I mean, it's like holy, holy, holy presence. Well, you're washed now, and you're clothed in Jesus Christ. Enter. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace and find grace to help in time of need. 
Jesus is the strong tower. This is how we're going to finish today is with a mental picture of fortification. Jesus is actually likened to a strong tower. We'll see it here in Psalm 61. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Uh, That's actually the gospel of Jesus Christ in the book of Proverbs. What do we do? We run unto the righteousness of Jesus, which was given us at the cross. His righteousness becomes ours. He's a strong tower. We enter into it, and guess what? We're safe. So you have a picture of a strong tower here. And I always, it's not big enough, the one I make on the stage here, because, I mean, we have to shrink it down. This is sort of like a micro version of it. And a strong tower is a strong tower. Imagine, now, if you could, that our walls are so thick, and they're thick of diamond. So imagine 10,000 miles thick diamond. Are you afraid of, if you were inside such a tower, of the enemy's little piddly arrow that he shoots at you and goes, ding, on the outside? No, you're not scared at all. Now, what if you're on the outside of the tower? And you're hugging the tower, esteeming the tower. What's the enemy's arrow doing? It's getting you every time. You see, if you're not inside, if you're not taking advantage of the position you have in Christ Jesus, the enemy's, he's, he's doing it to you. Every day he's getting you. He's undermining your life. But the door is open. It was opened by Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, come on in and enter. You know that that wall around you is Jesus could the devil get through Jesus when he was here? No. Did, did Jesus suffer from lust and pride and rebellion? No, no. You see, it couldn't get through him. It didn't break through him. And you are actually finding your refuge in that fortification. His name is Jesus, and he is your strong tower. You have everything you need for this life of Christianity. I want to exhort you to go to the suitcase that God has given you, the word of God, and get familiar with what he has offered you in his blood so that you would be fit to begin to live this life with authority and strength instead of under the thumb of the devil. Jesus is our strong tower. You cannot be that. Some of you are still wearing old shoes and you're complaining. Even this morning, I could probably overhear it and my ears were were tingling with it and you were saying, I am so tired of still behaving this way. I can't believe I'm still doing this. And so, that's why this message is given. The Spirit of God knows where we're at as a body. And He knows the frustrations that we're feeling, that we're enduring, because we have not learned how to unpack the suitcase. And many of us have it with us. Don't you have the suitcase with you? Oh, yeah. Well, why aren't you using what's inside of it? I didn't even know that there was anything inside of it. I thought I was just supposed to carry it with me. God has given you everything you need in the person of Jesus Christ to function the way he has called you to live. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.